0: The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed.
1: David, do you know uh, what song won the Academy Award? What movie song won the Academy Award in
2: 1956? I, I, I do. That would be K Sara. Sarah. That was also number two in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. Yeah. Top billboards. They like swept that year. I hate that song. Man, come on, I love that song. That's, that's definitely a timeless classic.
1: Did you know that if you meet a stranger on a bus in Marrakesh that you don't have to tell him everything about yourself?
2: I know it's a really bad idea to leave your kid in the care of some random couple you met the night before.
1: I am ready for another kidnapping, my man. I'm ready for a stabbing in a East marketplace, and I'm ready for a 12-minute-long concert scene with no dialogue whatsoever.
2: And down home Oshrak's performance from Jimmy Stewart that would have made the nineteen sixties cycle a much stranger movie.
1: <laughs> David, are we here to talk about the nineteen fifty six version of The Man Who Knew Too Much?
2: Yes we are.
0: Shall we begin?
1: Paramount Pictures breathing down his neck about that movie he owes them, Alfred Hitchcock pitches a project he's been wanting to do for a long time. It's a remake of The Man Who Knew Too Much, which trades the claustrophobic black and white of the original 1934 version for wide open spaces and the saturated color of VistaVision. Vision.
2: I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. In 1956, true modern
1: spy movies have yet to materialize, but they are just around the corner. And films like this are laying the groundwork for the cinematic storytelling style that will define them. Let's tear apart pe- the tradecraft of the man who knew too much again in this episode of Spies Like Us. So again, we're here to talk about uh, another what we're calling proto-spy movie, Um, even though, like, between the 34 version and the 56 version, there's 22 years have passed since then, but the, um, like, the genre doesn't really seem to have evolved at all.
2: No, it's pretty much the same story.
1: It is the same story. And also, like, there's not a lot in between, like, there's, nobody's doing really, like, really different stuff in that period, or at least if they are, uh, it's been really hard for me to find them. Um, I've only found, like, even a handful of what you could call uh, even, like, a proto-spy movie, like, in between these these movies. And even the ones that I can find, they're done in the 50s. So what I'm trying to say is that, like... Um, you know and this is kind of like why we started with these two movies i think that like if you look at it like anthropologically like the 1934 man who knew too much i'm calling that australopithecus that's a that's a, that's a precursor it's not really humankind yet but it's it's kind of getting there it's the first like vision that you see of of what it could be um homo habilis being, like, right on the edge of Homo sapiens. That's the 1956 version that we're going to talk about today. And the Homo sapiens of spy movies, like, the first Homo sapiens, I'm calling it, that's James Bond. That's in 1962, and it's right around the corner. So, in a way, I think that, like, new too much, the two versions are, like, very nearly serve as, like, bookends uh, of, of the proto-spy genre with maybe you might want to, like, push it out a little bit to get North by Northwest in there.
2: Well, yeah, that wasn't, that was around the same time, but, like, I came after, right? And that probably was a little bit more close to what we're looking at.
1: Yeah, that's 59.
2: Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, the difference between the 34 and the 56 is I think there was a lot more going on, like, right on the cusp, uh, of the 34 version because there was a real actual threat that was kind of hinted at in the 34 version with uh, some underground Nazi uh, movement versus in 1956. Uh, yeah, this is around the time of the Suez Crisis, but that was right at the corner. And it's not like Hitchcock knew it was coming. I mean, the reality of of uh, diplomatic assassination in another country I mean, still today is proven to be a big deal and setting, you know, a real reality. But I'm not really sure there's a whole lot going on historically other than, like, in the trailer, Jimmy Stewart hints at Morocco being the troubled place. And there was a whole lot going on in the Middle East around that time. But I I don't know if there's as much of a historical significance as uh, the 34 version.
1: Right. Well, I mean... The I think we talked about it in the thirty-four version where um the assassination plot that's described in that version, something very similar to that happened like pretty soon after. Yeah, it was uh, like
2: that, four or five months right after. Right. <laughs>
1: And then with this one, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say, like, Alfred Hitchcock is, like, a, a super genius, but I wouldn't rule it out that maybe he knew more about, like, what was going on than he said publicly or anything. But um,
2: Or somebody within his earshot knew something, you know. It might have just been in the air.
1: You know, but like like you said, like Jimmy Stewart did refer to this as the troubled region. So, uh, you know, and a really important event in the Cold War was just about to happen in Morocco. But this movie isn't uh, dealing with that, even on a fictional level. It's it doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't like you if you say the thirty four version maybe maybe accidentally predicted. Something that was about to happen. This movie doesn't do that, but it is, uh, has a big scene set in a place that was about to boil over.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think one of the big ties is we, we start Morocco and, and, uh, what in the 34 version, where they in Switzerland? Switzerland, yeah. There, yeah. So th- those would kind of be the places to be. So I, I guess. But other than that, yeah, it's not a
1: whole lot going on. Yeah, and I read that um, Hitchcock uh, put placed this in Morocco just specifically because he had visited Morocco like on a anniversary uh, trip with his wife or something, and just said like I want to I want to redo the Man Who Knew Too Much and and have it start here. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, he had a long career, and, like, he actually had some ups and downs. And, uh, you know, in the 40s, he was kind of on one of his downs. Uh, But he he comes back big time in the 50s. Uh, We got Strangers on a Train, Dial M for Murder, and, uh, let's see, what am I seeing here? By 1960, uh, yeah, four of his most, like, four of his most, like, uh, films that are ranked amongst the greatest of all time—not just of his movies, but just greatest of all time—are all done in this period. This is not one of them, right? Uh, but uh, you got Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho. That's so. So we're definitely talking about a very like fertile Hitchcock period. And that's not to say that New Too Much wasn't uh, wasn't liked at the time. Like, audiences loved it at, at the time. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, we're ready to get into it, yeah?
2: Yeah.
1: All right, let's hit it. Oh, by the way, just one one thing. Uh, you know who else didn't like K. Uh, Sarasura? Who? Doris Day. She hated no. that. She hated that,
2: well, she hated I mean, that she, song. <laughs> it's probably kind of how, like, Anna Kendrick hates the song Cups. <laughs> right. Or like, or like how Abbott and Costello hates Who's on First. Everybody just loved it so much. They no. Made no over. way.
1: No way could they hate that.
2: Uh, oh, are you kidding? If you look up some of the video recordings, you could tell they've been doing it one too many times, and they're just. Oh over.
1: my god! I still, I still think that's the funniest shit of all time. I oh,
2: really, it is. I have that absolutely. Opinion. Absolutely. But the thing is, I think everybody just wanted them to do it forever and they couldn't do anything else because everybody just wanted them to do who's on first. And so like I remember I looked at some like video recordings of them performing away, like after like maybe a couple of years after it came out and they they were like done. They, they were like pretty much just doing it because they had to. I want to see
0: laughing because they already knew the jokes.
1: Right. <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see that. All right. Let's head to the briefing room
0: voice pattern recognized retinal scan complete validating security clearance clearance granted you may now enter the briefing room it's
1: 1956 uh a lot of the names in this movie are kind of parallels of the 1934 version bob is now ben jill is now joe ramon is going to become Rhine. Stuff like that. But uh, in this movie, um, we start out in Morocco. Another, uh, you know, far-off, far-off mysterious land. A little more mysterious than Switzerland. And Ben and Joe McKenna, that's uh, Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day, are on their way into Morocco, and they're befriended by Louis Bernard. Louis Bernard's name doesn't change in this version. Um, Louis is uh, inviting them to uh, dinner and they're at the hotel having drinks before dinner when a mysterious, weird-looking motherfucker knocks at the door apparently by mistake. And this is Ryan. He's our heavy. He's the parallel to Ramon in the first film. Apparently it's by mistake. Um, there's, It's not really clear, like, We'll we'll dish into it when we get to the tradecraft part. It's not really clear at this point, especially to the audience, like what this chance encounter means. But uh, we do note that Ryan and Louis Bernard appear to recognize each other. And after Ryan leaves, Louis thinks hard. He makes a phone call in French. I don't speak French. I don't know what he talks about. But then he cancels the dinner plans. So, okay. The McKenna's head to dinner on their own. And while they're there, they uh, meet up with another couple. Uh, I'm not sure. Are the I guess the Draytons are supposed to be British. What do you think here?
2: I think okay. they're British.
1: Okay. So British they meet. Right. But they meet another white couple <laughs> <laughs> in Morocco. And they all decide to have dinner together. Uh, the Draytons propose spending the day at the market with the McKenna's the next day. And, um, yeah, we're going to talk about why we think that is because by the way, the Draytons, we're going to find out these are the stand in for Abbott instead of having a cool one guy mastermind behind the assassination plot. And by the way, in case I hadn't mentioned it, these movies do parallel each other quite a lot, but this is one point of divergence where Abbott, instead of being one creepy Hungarian Jewish guy, is instead replaced with a a married couple, the Draytons, Mr. and Mrs.
2: Well, there is a mastermind. They're kind of the agents for the mastermind. Louis also
1: shows up at the same restaurant. Uh, The McKennas are kind of annoyed, like, hey, didn't he say he had some business to do? Now he's out. Having dinner, and he shows up at the same restaurant? It's fucking rude, but it's not really important to the spy part of the movie. Or is it? Louis shows up with a a French lady, and he's having dinner off in the corner. He notices that the Draytons and the McKennas are talking to each other. He appears to have figured something out. We're not sure exactly what. We're going to have to talk about that. We go to the next day. At the market, the two couples are hanging out together with Hank, their son. I forgot to mention Hank. Uh, Hank is the parallel for Betty in the 1956 film. He's the child that's going to get abducted and be the leverage that the bad guys have over our good protagonist married couple. A boy instead of a girl. At the market we see something interesting. This is, where the, this is where the movie really kind of starts getting going. We see the police chasing a robed man. We're not sure why. This scene gets a little confusing. We, we then, like as the audience, we follow the chase. And at some point, a second robed man uh, is involved in the chase as well. Between the police and the first robed man that they were pursuing... Or I I honestly can't tell if the man that they were the robed man they were pursuing is revealed to be also pursuing another robed man. It's really not clear to me. But one way or another, the the robed man. Okay, so like we got robed man in the lead, robed man following him, police following them. The robed man in the middle stabs the first robed man, and the police don't seem to care about that and they keep chasing the rogue man who was the stabber. Yeah. We're going we're, we're to try and unpeel why that is. Right. In a in a minute. But right yeah. now let's just let's just state that that is a confusing scene. We're going to try to unpack it. But before we do that, the stabbed man turns out to be Louis Bernard in disguise in, you know, uh brown face. Brown face. Yeah, he's yeah. he's colored his, his skin to look like uh, a Middle Eastern Moroccan. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't look good. It's not a great look. No. <laughs> but but maybe it would fool someone that was only halfway paying attention to you. Um, he finds Ben, like he's he's walking into the market, he's like trying to get the knife out of his back, he can't, he's dying, he's dying. He's staggering into the marketplace. He sees Ben, Jimmy Stewart, And before he dies, he manages to whisper this to Ben. Um, I made a note that I... I had to listen to this shit, like, fucking five times to even hear what he was saying. Which I thought was annoying. Now, maybe that's a problem, like, you know, just because I watched the movie on YouTube. Maybe it wouldn't have been a problem if I'd seen it in the theater. If I'd bought the DVD, or the VHS, or the whatever. But I had to watch it five times to try and decipher, like, what he whispered. But basically, it was someone's going to get assassinated london ambrose chapel and i got to make a note here real quick that ben hears it as a name ambrose chapel
0: right yeah later
1: in the film we'll find out that that's a that's a uh, a misunderstood piece of information
2: right Alright, so at this point, we're in a marketplace, and this chase starts out with these police and this robed man. There was only one robed man in the beginning of the chase, then out of, I don't know, the alleyway, a second robed man comes out to stab him. Um, but I found really, really... Well, first of all, this entire scene is insanely confusing. And uh, I think Todd and I have... uh uh, sat together and tried to unpack this quite a few times. But one interesting thing that I want to kind of point out at the beginning is uh, Hitchcock actually coined the the idea of fridge logic. He kind of called it an icebox scene where, uh, you know, the idea is you're watching a show, you're not really paying attention, but then you go to the fridge uh, or the icebox to pull out like a beer, or, like some chicken. And you're like, wait, how did the guy get to, uh, Africa from Australia, in like half of a day. you know, And the idea is that like well, in making a movie, there's bigger fish to fry. So I think this scene might have been an icebox scene to Hitchcock where he's just kind of like, we're just gonna set up a chase, a guy dies and passes on this information. However, at uh, much more scrutiny or much more uh, focused, uh, I guess, analysis of what happened, not only in the marketplace scene but at the previous night at the restaurant we can kind of piece together that the Draytons must have the way with which we already know were they were watching them because at the hotel i think it was joe that realizes that they're kind of watching them they just kind of used... she got she
1: got she got a hint her nose her nose started twitching
2: yeah she got a little twitchy twitch of the nose um, which, and, which and they just,
1: covered up which which they covered up and let's all remember like the Draytons are the bad guys we just as the audience we don't know that yet
2: yeah we don't know, so we're, we not so know that
1: yet yeah so we're going backwards to analyze like what we saw happening but the Draytons uh cleverly uh disguised that over or kind of cover that up um, but by uh, we we haven't mentioned that yet that Joe is a famous singer she's a very famous person and yeah, so they I just they just Europe. yeah so they just pretend to be fans
2: yeah, and and they happen to just sit right behind the McKennas at this Moroccan restaurant. You know, and uh, they 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 did notice that they were talking to Louis Bernard. And that might have been the information they got from Ryan when Ryan accidentally knocks on that door. So the Draytons are definitely watching the McKennas um, and have probably pieced together something with Louis Bernard, especially since Louis Bernard walks right into the restaurant. And you see the McKennas have a little bit of a domestic dispute over how insulted they are that the they got blown off by Louis Bernard who promised them to go to dinner and he kind of canceled on them for this young lady. And there's kind of like a cute little domestic uh, uh, kind of back and forth between the McKennas. But what I think is actually going on here is... The Draytons are trying to get as much information about the Mckennas, since they probably have figured out that Louis Bernard. Let
1: me actually let me let me stop you here, because I I think I think we want to lay the table out just a little bit more solid for this, just in case we're we're jumping ahead a little. Just like in the first movie, the Draytons are we think are here to hire Ryan to be the assassin, just in the same way that Abbott went to Switzerland to hire Ramon. Right. Right exactly um right uh let's see la, la, la. well, I think that's all I needed to make sure that we we had in place
2: so, so yeah this is, this is what the Draytons are actually there to do is to recruit Ryan to be their would be assassin right uh, and and um
1: we're gonna figure out later too that um Louis. so and and again. Louis Bernard, same as in Switzerland in 1934, he's the counter-spy that's here to gather intelligence about this uh, supposed assassination plot. So he's there to monitor them, and he apparently was looking for a white couple coming into Marrakesh the same day, and that's how he, like, accidentally thought the McKennas were the
2: Draytons. Right. Which we find out later because Jimmy Stewart spells it out for the audience as he's explaining it to his wife but um
1: and that's a and that's a really good piece of tradecraft here. I think it's one of my favorites, even though I kind of had to watch it twice to get it is um you know there there's the that initial scene on the bus right where there's a little accident uh you know Hank gets into a little bit of trouble, and uh Louis Bernard intercedes to kind of smooth out the situation because he speaks Moroccan or whatever language they speak in Morocco. No offense, Morocco. I don't know your culture.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it just, it just seems perfectly innocent. I watched that scene. I had like no issues with it. It's later after they depart after Louis Bernard and the McKenna's part ways that Joe turns to Ben and says like, what are you doing? Like, you're telling him everything about us. And Jimmy Stewart, Ben, he's just like, what are you talking about? We're just having a chat. And she's like, didn't you notice how much?
2: Oh, this like, is the bus scene, yeah. When they first meet on the bus on the way to Morocco.
1: Right, but it's, it's after they've gotten off the bus and have split up, after having made dinner plans. Um, Joe is just, she's, she's got her, her nose is twitching her nose is totally twitching and Jimmy Stewart doesn't see it, but she spells it out to him and says like, you told him everything about us and we don't know anything about him. And then I, so I went back and I watched the scene on the bus again and I was totally floored and I really enjoyed this. And it felt like, like a really good piece of tradecraft. When you watch that scene, Louis Bernard actually does in a perfectly casual seeming conversation, he gives up no information about himself whatsoever and, ga- and gathers a ton of information about the McKennas, and that is some good spy stuff. Plus fifteen spy <laughs> points to Louis Bernard.
2: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, he kinda he used like, you know, a ba- basic technique of just kind of playing to is it Ben in this movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ben McKenna's is, I, I guess, kind of, you, you know, people people like to talk about themselves, so he kind of, he kind of compliments him every so often to get him talking more and more about stuff, and and you know, Ben haplessly just this, you know, uh, like a oblivious American tourist on a bus with someone he just met, just gave out a ton of information about himself. Yeah,
0: he's he really.
1: Is. Yeah, where they've been, where they were recently, what Ben's background is, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Later, when they're having drinks in their hotel room before dinner, uh, it becomes a little bit more explicit. Uh, We have Louis Bernard and uh, Joe Mm -hmm. out on the balcony uh, having their first drink. And she, at this point, like you... At this point, you notice it. You don't need to go and rewatch it to catch this. At this point, you can tell... Joe is trying to turn the tables on him. She keeps you know, she says,
2: she like keeps, you know, so what, what what do you do? Yeah, yeah. And, and he keeps di- diverting from it and he's trying to talk about her being a celebrity. Oh, I didn't know you were a celebrity, and she she's like, Well, you're from France, right? And he's like, Well, I was born there, you know. And like, how have you not seen me perform? I've been on bills everywhere, I've I've done ten tons of shows he he plays like ignorant that he doesn't know who this celebrity is and and she continues to switch the t- tables on him and go what do you do and his response is like oh i uh, b- uh buy and sell and then she's like what he's like you know whatever is the most profitable
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> he's he's extremely vague yeah
2: um
1: but yeah it's 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 good stuff it's good stuff um you had something to say where you thought There was something... Okay, so, actually, here I want to talk about... So now we know who all the players are. And actually, let me, uh, in case it needs to be said, further set the table in that this still parallels the 1934 film where... Well, there's a slight difference. But in the first film, Gibson and Louis Bernard worked together at the London Foreign Office. In this one, London knows about an assassination plot, and Buchanan is uh, our substitute for Gibson. He's the like the good spy master guy that like right. is gonna lay it out for our protagonists. Uh, he will late, later in the film. He's gonna tell them that they requested that Louis Bernard uh, go to Morocco to investigate the assassination plot. So Dave. Go ahead and tell us, like, why wouldn't London just send their own guy? Why would they send a French... Why would they ask France well, you know, to like send one of their agents to Morocco?
2: Well, like we discussed in the briefing, you know, Morocco is pretty much... Uh, well, not French-occupied, uh, but uh, more like France is pulling the strings. And they it have might, a lot of business interests. It might
1: depend on who you ask. I mean, the the day-to-day Moroccan... Uh, in 56 might think of themselves as friends occupied, not necessarily by the military, but uh, just,
2: you know, politically and economically, you know, everybody there is kind of a puppet for France. And so it wouldn't be strange for a Frenchman to be mm-hmm. in Morocco. The the head cop in Morocco
1: is a Frenchman. He's not a Moroccan. No, he's a frog. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, so the the French are in positions of of power and authority in in Morocco. And also, you know, just um, French people are going in and out all the time. So they got their passport situation and everything. And so maybe it's just, you know, I mean, it's just you, you, as the British intelligence, you say, like, you know what? We don't know shit about Morocco. Should we send our own guy? And someone in the room is probably like, maybe France can help with this. Let's see what they know. And so since since we're all friends, it being post-World War II and all, uh, yeah, the French send their guy in. Um,
2: yeah, and and uh well, I think we should get back to the restaurant, because I don't think we got through to the marketplace.
1: That is exactly where I wanted to go. Take us there. Yeah.
2: So the you know, in the restaurant scene, I, I think we were talking about how uh, the the Draytons had obviously been, you know, watching the McKenna's probably because of the situation with Ryan. Louis Bernard walks in, they piece together that they've been dealing with Louis Bernard, and they, they probably figure out that's the guy that they got to find, uh, probably from information they got from Ryan, who apparently accidentally walks or knocks on their door and they see the animosity between the McKenna's and the Drayton's then, I think it was Mrs. Drayton invites the McKenna's out to the market. And, uh, I think, and, and that's when Joe said we were supposed to go to the market with, with, uh, with Louis Bernard. That's true. They just gave up another piece of information to this, uh, couple that they've never met. And that, that has just been playing on Joe's, I guess, uh, ego about being a celebrity, kind of like, oh, my God, we love you. We're huge fans and blah, blah, blah. So they accept the invitation. What I really wanted to point out here, though, next day at the market, is we don't see Mr. Drayton until halfway through the market scene. Uh, What we see is...
1: So he he could be off doing shady evil spy business
2: right and at the restaurant they probably piece together that louis bernard is the guy they got to watch out for he probably tips off the police about louis bernard which is what causes the chase i i mean like we're really really drawing conclusions here because we don't get any information about the chase whatsoever but my guess is because we don't see mr mckenna he's probably talking to one of his agents or uh has, has a cutout somewhere. I mean, like, it, it's obvious they speak Moroccan or understand the language. So they probably have a lot of contacts in Morocco, especially on the street. And so I'm, my guess is Mr. McKenna probably hires our assassin who ends up killing, who ends up stabbing Louis Bernard and might have also tipped off the police. I don't know why they would be chasing him, but I, I just think it's odd. We don't see Mr. Drayton at the beginning. We see the McKenna's watching.
1: Right, right, right. I got you. I got you.
2: We've got Mrs. Drayton and Hank watching the storyteller, but we don't get Mr. Drayton until uh, halfway through. Also, during the sewing machine shot, you see Mr. Drayton talking hold to on hold, on, hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. Sewing machine shot?
2: Yeah, this is just before the chase starts, and there's all these sewing machines, oh, and Hank is crap. all excited. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. Parallel. Uh, uh,
1: remember, there's uh um uh, Louis Bernard right before he gets killed in '34, he's entangled in a web,
2: right of string of of, string. That, of, of that uh Jill was knitting for, him. right. So yeah.
1: so it okay. So because it's Hitchcock and Hitchcock doesn't do shit by accident, right. Immediately before Louis Bernard gets killed in '56, we're also introduced to a bunch of uh. Cloth making, like sewing. Correct. They're, I mean, they're not sewing; they're weaving. They're weaving.
2: No, they have sewing machines.
1: Okay, they're sewing. They're those.
2: They're those paddled ones, and they're all they're, there's like I don't know, probably like twenty. All right, never
1: mind. I thought I had something, but the.
2: It, it, I mean,
1: there's still thread involved, right? <laughs> yes,
2: there's 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 fabric and thread and sewing. Like it's the knitting in thirty four, and it's the sewing, and Hank is like. Completely blown away with all these sewing machines, and he's super excited. And and uh, but what one of the cool things is what I noticed, and it's really hard to see this is it's just Mrs. Drayton and Hank watching the sewing machines, and you see Mr. Drayton in the background, very hard to see talk to someone no! in the marketplace.
1: I did not catch that,
2: yeah. And then, Ooh. Plastic. and then. So we had a mist- missing Mister Drayton. Mister Drayton shows up, and he's walking around by himself. And then he kind of meets up with everybody. And then he's talking to somebody. And then all it's of this sudden to be—it's
1: it's, it, right. It's got to be connected to the chase. He's 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 telling someone. Uh, he's 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 telling someone they're they're passing information, and he's like saying like somehow like go ahead, pull the trigger, spring the trap. Lou Bernard's got to die.
2: Right, and, and that's probably how they found out he probably was missing maybe trying to recruit Ryan, and that's how Louis Bernard got the information because it was pretty obvious that he had just received this information and had to get out of Dodge. So my oh, right. I, I guess is
1: – I want to take, take this from the top, and, and you help me out, right? Right. The problem with the Morocco sequence, which is 50 minutes – compared to only a flat 15 in Switzerland. I mean, right. in Switzerland, I think Louis Bernard is dead within five minutes of the credits rolling. Yeah, yeah. Like, it moves at a savage clip. And, you know, we had to do some guesswork to put what was going on there together. The Morocco scene, or sequence, gives us so much more uh, information, but it's also, it's kind of like more of a messy... Sweater, where like there's more threads to pull on that maybe don't make sense but let's try to take it from the top and, and like walk through and just put together our best guess of how everything was going on the Draytons are headed to Morocco to hire an assassin right. Louis Picard is sent to find out about that he mistakes the McKenna's for the Draytons
2: right
1: he later is recognized by Ryan mutually right <clears throat> which i'm going to go ahead and say i can't think of any good reason for that uh, like i mean there's only so much i'm going to try to like write the plot <laughs> behind the shit um i think like the 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 easiest the occam's razor reason that they recognize each other it's because Ryan is an internationally uh, famous assassin and Louis Bernard is an internationally famous spy. And they just know each other from knowing each other. Unless there's a whole bunch of weird shit that happened that we're not privy to. Um, so I'll just simplify it by going with that. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan tips off his new employers, the Drayton's, that Louis Bernard is in town. Right. Louis Bernard realizes that it's the Draytons he should be paying attention to. So now everyone, at least on the bad guy's side, everyone knows everyone. Right. McKenna's still don't know shit. Nope. Yep. <laughs> They're in the middle of it. Now, the Draytons decide... Now, uh, so, so Ryan saw Louis Bernard with the McKenna's. So along with alerting the Draytons that uh, Louis Bernard is in town... He also mentions, like, they were also hanging out with this American couple. The Draytons say, well, who is this American couple? Maybe they're agents. Right. Or at least, let's find out. Right. So, let's, like, make friends with them and pretend to be buddies. And they do that by inviting them to the market so they can spend time together.
2: Right.
1: I'm, I'm I'm all good so far, right? Right,
2: and and but that's when we have a missing Mr. Drayton. That's probably when he's discussing the information so, so about what assassination.
1: Is, right, right. So what's Louis do like it's confusing to me what Louis's doing. Louis uh
2: he's Louis dressed as a Moroccan appar- probably
1: but, right. He's apparently made some decision that he needs to I mean, he's in disguise. Why? Uh two possibilities. He needed to be in disguise to Uh, go and gather some critical piece of information he didn't have yet. Right. Or, and or, he goes out and gets the, either that night after dinner or that morning before the market, he's still doing his spy stuff and he's gotten the last piece of information that he needs. Because remember, if he knew about, if he knew all the stuff, like, he wouldn't have been playing this whole game with everyone. Right. Like, from the start. So, apparently, at some point, between dinner and him getting stabbed, he's been off doing some, some cool spy stuff, which, if this was a real spy movie, we would have been... The audience would have been following that. Right, exactly. Of, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> how, did you, how did you describe and, these movies? And, or, and or wait, 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 let me land it, let me land it. Or... He's suddenly gotten into disguise because he knows he's been busted, and he knows he needs to get out of Morocco now. And he's making a run for it. And somehow this is precipitated. We don't—I don't think we need to dig in too much harder. But I love the fact you notice that Mr. Drayton uh, made a, a call, like like not not a phone call, but like made a decision and like put something into action right immediately before the police chase. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, that, that feels like, uh, as, as tight as, as we can get it for, yeah, for now. I, unless we got something to tough. add.
2: I, I, you know, I, I, I just love how much we had to draw from little information. I think it was you that described this movie as a great spy story that gets interrupted by a movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the problem in Switzerland – well, it's the opposite problem between the 34 and the 56. In in Switzerland, we get so little information, but we can connect the dots. Right. In In Morocco, we almost get, like, too much information, which a lot of it just doesn't make sense. And so it's a lot harder to, like, draw the dots. And especially – I'll come back to it later – I still can't figure out why Ryan knocked on the door of the McKenna's hotel room. And I'm just, there's only so, so hard that I'm going to think about that. I've literally been thinking about it for well, the last two weeks.
2: He said he was looking preparing the for them. So I think it's the same situation that Louis Bernard found him himself. He was, lo- Louis Bernard was looking for a white couple in Morocco and Ryan was probably looking for a white couple in Morocco. So he probably saw that that's the room they were staying at and realized that they, they, he was like, I'm looking for the Mulhollands. He was like, we're the, not the Mahollins, we the McKennas. So he probably realized he got the wrong couple, just like Louis Bernard realized he got the wrong couple. And that's, that's why he made that phone call. That's about the best I can do.
1: That is absolutely the best theory that, that I mean, like I said, I've been thinking about this for two weeks
2: yeah. <laughs> that is
1: that is the best we can come up with. Up with. I'm going with that.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, there's also we're going to find out later in the film there's a, a ganky uh, wanky like plot reason for him to have knocked down the door which is basically so that we can make sure that Joe has seen him because that's going to become important later. But it's just a I don't it's don't about
2: important.
1: No it just, is. It, it yeah. is because if well if she didn't well, she'll know more about the assassination. When she shows up later at the concert, yeah. she's going to see him in the lobby.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And so as opposed to uh, the, the lady in the 1934 version who goes to the concert knowing nothing, Joe is also yeah, going to go to the concert cover, knowing so. nothing. But when she arrives at the concert, she's going to see a person That she's seen before. She's seen him in Morocco. He's going to say something creepy about her kid. She's going to realize this is a bad dude.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I I think that's about the best we could get out of this one. Yeah. Because we don't get a whole lot of information about that.
1: Okay. So, um... Dude, There's some other shit that happens in Morocco and and some other tradecraft that follows before now in 1934 we switch right to London at this point pretty much right, right. but uh, uh, the Morocco scene keeps keeps going, and there's some interesting stuff going on here, right
2: yeah the they uh, after the the murder, uh, they noticed that the the victim whispers something to Ben McKenna and so the police asked Ben McKenna to come in and make a statement to which while, while, while still in Morocco while still in Morocco to which uh I think Mrs Drayton who we find out the Draytons are villains uh uh suggests that she should take Hank back to the hotel cuz they wouldn't want the, they sure the McKennas wouldn't want their son involved in this police business and uh, we'll find so, out later. So, without
1: knowing anything about what's been whispered, the Draytons are stepping in and saying, "Like, let's let's grab leverage against these people just in case." the the French the yeah. French cop that's in in charge of Moroccan stabbings <laughs> is only talking to Ben,
2: the the man of the couple in this situation. Right, right, right. In nineteen fifty six fashion. Now, Um,
1: Mr. Drayton, though... Okay, so Mrs. Drayton, super crafty. Uh, She's she's maybe taking control of the Hank situation just in case they need leverage. She's probably not kidnapping him right away, right? Right. Because that would be like jumping the gun. Mr. Drayton, super crafty Mr. Drayton. This is another one of my favorite bits of, like, spy stuff in this movie. Uh, He says, like, you know, he wants to be a friend to Hank and come with him to the interrogation. He does two things Friend here. Friend with Ben, not Hank. Oh, I'm sorry. Friend with Ben. Thank you. He does, he does two things here. In the lobby, before they're going into the interrogation, he's just like, hey, look, man. You don't know this guy. Why? Like, just, just say you didn't know him. Yeah. Like, It's, it's going
2: to make things complicated. It's, it's
1: going to be, be complicated. You, you know, we're white people they're french people yeah. they're brown people all around us we should be on the same team and yeah. and and i'm just looking out for you just just go ahead and say you didn't know anything which is great and that might have worked right the other super cool thing he does when the cop opens the door and says like ben you got to come in here um mr to tra- operas- yes. translate yes Go ahead, go ahead, take that
2: one, take that one. Because basically, Ben doesn't know French. Uh, Mr. Drayton knows French and apparently Moroccan. So the the head police guy who's in charge of stabbings, uh, who's investigating this matter and questioning, comes out, and Mr. Drayton offers to translate, which was a fantastic, like, tradecrafty idea, because he could control the situation. Absolutely. He could mistranslate, miscommunicate, and and control the situation and prevent ben from saying anything
1: ben, however
2: ben ben could
1: tell the cop everything right in english and drayton could just mistranslate it right. and neither the cop nor ben would be any the
2: wiser and and their plan would still go on and they wouldn't have to hold on a hank anymore however mr drayton's plan is foiled when the police officer starts speaking very fluent english and says no translation will be necessary I, I'll talk to you later. So now we have the McKennas and uh, this officer in a room, and I think I think he starts out by accusing them of them of being spies, because he now alerts the McKennas that Louis Bernard was an agent of the Digimus bureau which, which I think we, he uh, described in in the briefing.
1: We did, yes.
2: Yeah, and and you know. Uh, ben McKenna not having an idea who they are, uh, wh- wh- what that bureau is, um, because, of course... But, you know, the officer is not buying it, and he keeps, his, he keeps like, pushing them. So we have this interesting interrogation scene, and we have a very angry Jimmy Stewart in typical American film fashion, you know, standing up uh, for his family and for the right thing and all that other stuff. Uh,
1: Jimmy Stewart is great. Jimmy Stewart is so good at, like, getting... Uh, I don't know, uppity. <laughs> what yeah, am very, I? What am I trying to say? Like when Jimmy Stewart's upset, like like he's just got a certain flavor of being upset. I I like I like I really love Jimmy Stewart as an actor. He's got probably like ten switches, yeah, that throws. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like it is a pre like this is pre Brando. This is pre method acting. I do think Jimmy Stewart though is. Very worthwhile mentioning as one of the greatest pre-method acting actors of all fucking time.
2: Yeah, he he's is definitely... He definitely he's very endearing in his shit. Yeah, he's very endearing. He's a very warm kind of person. Now everybody loves him.
1: He That's... can be clumsy. He can be vaguely anxious. He can be angry.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And but but in all of his 10 switches of all his 10 emotions that he that he places, yeah. like he, he does each one like just so perfect, pitch perfectly well,
2: right? Um, wait, so oh, yeah, so in the middle of an interrogation, a phone call comes in for Mr. McKenna,
1: very and, similar to 1934,
2: and he answers the phone. And this is when we find out that Hank. Uh, is in trouble and he's being threatened not to tell the police anything about what he knows, or something bad will happen to his son. Uh, uh, we then have uh, Mr. Drayton trying to contact his wife, which we found out was uh, fake, and he can't get through to his wife, and they can't get through to anybody, and now their son is missing. And I think that's about all we really need to discuss about the interrogation scene.
1: Yeah, we go back to the hotel with uh, uh, Ben and Joe. And Ben tells Joe everything while taking his sweet time about it. And this is actually a really nice scene, which I know that you liked a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to set the table.
2: Oh, wait, but before that scene, uh, Ben goes to talk to the uh, valet, I guess, and asks about the Draytons, and he finds out the Draytons have been checked out oh right So, So so now
1: now is when this is the first time the audience knows that the or or strongly suspects that the draytons are not good people
2: right that the draytons have probably kidnapped their son yep and that there is a problem because they have this piece of information and now they're being threatened not to give this piece of information. Right. Um, and he hasn't I mean he hasn't told Joe anything at this right. point. And in their hotel
1: room, I think we're ready for this, right? Right, we're in their ready. Hotel room. He spends time, he spends some Jimmy Stewart time,
2: right.
1: thinking about it and putting all these pieces together and he wants to get it all straight in his head before he lays it out for Joe. And, and he-
2: very, it's a great scene. I, yeah.
1: I want to lay the table and then I want you to take it home, right? Because yeah. we, we both love Perfect. the scene. Yeah, he, he, he takes his time. He's thinking. He's putting the pieces together and once he's arrived at this full conclusion he's figured out that Louis Bernard was looking for the Draytons not the McKenna's. Nice. He's figured out that Louis Bernard was a spy. He knows that Hank's been abducted. He suspects the Draytons did it. So a lot of bad stuff has happened. Joe doesn't know anything. And he wants to tell her. He needs to tell her. Husband to wife. This is what's going on, honey. And he's a doctor, by the way, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes. He gets his, uh, his, his little doctor kid out. And uh, he, she's freaked out. But he wants her to take a pill. Before he lays out what's going on, right? And then, and then he does so, and I want you to describe the scene for us, okay? Go, buddy.
2: Well, you know, watching this movie, you know, you, you watch a lot of old movies, and the you get a lot of mechanical acting. Um, and that's kind of like here's the lines, and it's obvious we're watching actors act. Uh, and so I really wasn't paying attention to a lot of the acting in either of these films, other than you know just. Uh, maze balls, uh, Peter Laurie, but what happens is when uh, Jimmy Stewart, well, first, Jimmy Stewart kind of gently starts, you know, setting the 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 scene for Joe. and when when everything's out on the table, Joe falls apart, completely falls apart. And it's starts, a beautiful
1: scene.
2: Yeah, beautiful scene. This is the moment when I actually started watching her acting. Because the whole movie was a very typical fifties movie. It's just dialogue is thrown back and forth between actors, but this it's moment very, it's, very, very, it's very quippy. Yeah, very quippy. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good way to describe it. But yeah. but this is this is where we start like
1: seeing some real pathos, really? some real um, some real emotion.
2: Yeah, some absolutely. Cracks, and,
1: some cracks in the armor. Yeah, and she
2: falls apart, she and it's not like overly. Over and and, it, and it's not like, like, like she, she does go all out, but I don't mean all out in a melodramatic way. I mean, she goes all out like a mother who has literally just lost her boy and has realized that her boy is not safe. And, and, and it made me, you know, like I, I started feeling that moment with her. She did such a, she made me believe that this was a mother that lost her baby boy you know her poor little baby boy that she loves so much and it, and this is and she's a mother and her boy is missing and she falls to pieces this is the moment that i actually started watching her acting throughout the rest of the movie and let me tell you doris day was right. way and, and it's thought. not
1: just and it's not just that she's she gets she gets so angry and frustrated that her husband didn't clue her in, like, every step of the way, you know?
2: Right, right, exactly. She she, She has a range of, like, an amalgam of all these emotions going on. You know, while while
1: he's trying to hug her, she's, like, beating at his arms and just saying, like, you fucking bastard, like, why, how could you, how could you, how could you even suspect that our son was, you know, like, taken away from us and not
2: immediately fucking tell me?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) But, yeah, no, I, I just, super brownie points for Doris Day's acting. She uh, definitely was ahead of her time. Yeah, I, I love her. I love her. She's
1: adorable. I'm going to go ahead and say, like, the name Doris Day is a name that I've known my entire life. Yeah. And I've always known, like, that's a name, like, my parents would, like, throw around or I would see in, you know, whatever, like, film papers about whatever and say like oh yeah supposedly she was famous I'm like oh, okay whatever I've never seen the bitch don't care about her
2: <laughs>
1: but after after watching this movie a few times uh for this I'm I actually might like I actually might like go ahead and seek out some other Doris Day films because not only is she a hottie but she can fucking act. And sing and you know she's just singing. I don't know about the singing
2: <laughs> Oh no I thought her singing was great. I mean like the the end scene, yeah. She I think she purposely was just trying to be loud so her boy could hear. Well, anyway, we'll get there. We'll get to that. But you heard <laughs> her sing earlier in the movie, which we actually didn't bring up, but we should talk so about that song because it's important later, yeah. Right. No, actually,
1: why don't you go ahead go ahead and mention that now because we should mention that before we leave Marrakesh, because that is that is indeed something that's gonna come back to be important while they were in their hotel room.
2: Hank is singing dinner. a song and uh, Joe starts singing the chorus, and uh, th- this is when you can hear that she can sing. And and uh, uh, I think I think there was like a joke from, um, uh, well, whatever. Yeah, like the boy can't sing that well, but we hear we hear Joe singing beautifully. But there's this song Sara which was released in this film, and I think was the top song of that year.
1: Yes, it was the number one. It was the number one song in 1956 due to this film.
2: Yeah. And, and so it's really important that we talk about this song, and uh, because it would be important mm. later.
1: And it all it all makes sense because she is a famous singer; singing is her craft, and she's just having a delightful little moment with her boy,
2: where and her she starts whistling the tune, which will also be important later. Right,
1: where just she is, she up. is sharing her love of music with her son.
2: Right, and she's a little mommy. Baby boy moment. Yeah. Um, so let's I, I guess I guess that's good for Marrakesh. Let's Dude, I got I got two
1: tickets. Let's get on board.
2: Yeah. <laughs> to paradise. <laughs>
1: no, to London. Let's to go to London. London. <laughs> All right. Yo kid, it's London.
2: We are in jolly old London.
1: We also came to London in the 1934 version. The difference here is that the McKennas are Americans, so they're, they're not on their home ground. Yeah, and, they have
2: to set up a place to stay with their friends.
1: Yes, yes. Because Joe's famous. She's got rich friends.
2: No, yeah. no problem. And she gets off the plane and she's welcomed by a horde of fans. Uh But at some point, as they get off the plane, they're taken away by an official and brought into a room. And that's when we meet uh, Buchanan. And Buchanan
1: Buchanan is our Gibson analog from the first film. He's our friendly master spy.
2: Right. And, uh, you know, there there wasn't too much crazy. I mean, we got a similar parallel. You know, uh, Buchanan is like, hey, we're the good guys. We do this. This is our job. Uh there's a spy issue. We know that your son's been kidnapped. We know that there's an assassination or there's a plot, there's a piece of information you have and we need that information. And he tries to convince the McKenna's to give them the information and let them take control so they can protect their boy to which, no, no we're going to take care of our boy and we can't help you. And uh I, I don't think we have a lot to go through on that scene. We can just kind of skip through.
1: Uh, I, guess, I, I mean, I got some hits here.
2: Yeah, you do. All
1: right. Well, oh, that, sure. well, uh the Draytons are also clearly monitoring the Lawrence's movements because they send coke bottle glasses, lady.
2: Oh, that's right.
1: Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So there's some more surveillance. Right. They're not they're not just uh, going to be happy just like uh warning the McKennas not to say anything. They're also going to watch the McKennas. See what right. they do. See who they talk to.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Um Buchanan in this movie is uh, uh, desc- describes himself, introduces himself as being a member of the special branch of Scotland Yard, which we talked about in the briefing. Right. I'm pretty sure he uh, again he tells them the London knew about an assassination plot and asked France to help. We covered that in Morocco, didn't we? <laughs> we that's did. fine. that's fine. So. um, uh, remember the dentist scene. So Ben is gonna go like do his own investigation. Or well, we're gonna
2: kinda... a phone call to Scotland Yard.
1: Oh, of course. So this is again like a parallel to the 1934 scene where the the villains are still, or at least when the villains notice. In both cases, when the villains notice that uh, the master spy, the friendly master spy, is making contact with our friendly protagonists. The villains decide, like, hey, this might be a good time to remind them yeah. of what's at stake. And they place yeah. a phone call.
2: To Scotland Yard. Right. As if, as if it wouldn't be traced.
1: That <laughs> one also gets traced. Um, I forget exactly how that one gets traced. Didn't uh...
2: They traced it to a, a public phone.
1: Okay. It, it,
2: think like that really led to anything.
1: So again a public phone, right? Didn't didn't go anywhere. Um Yeah, uh, so remember we had the the barber scene in um 1934? Right. Ben goes off to uh or Bob went off to investigate the barber with Clive. In this case Ben goes off alone to follow up on this name. He thinks it's a name. We're going to find out it's not actually a name. Ambrose Chappelle. Which is like a
2: taxidermist, right?
1: Turns out to be a taxidermist. Some shenanigans ensue. There's yeah, some the like,
2: wa- biggest waste of the whole movie. 20 minutes for a dead end. That really served no purpose. <laughs> it,
1: was, it was It's it's pretty garbage. And I do want to skip merrily along. Except to mention that... like. I mean, boo, minus, uh, I don't know, minus 10. No, not 10. 10 sounds harsh. Minus five director points for Alfred yeah. Hitchcock. Yeah. For uh, doing that stupid thing where, like, uh, Ben's walking along the street, and he hears footsteps behind him, and he stops. And the footsteps behind him stop. And then he keeps walking. And it's all a bunch of bullshit. Like That
2: leads nowhere.
1: Total not- red He's- herring.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's trying to make us think this is a spy, uh this is a intrigue moment. But it just turns out it's a total case of mistaken identity. And opposed to the barber scene or the or barbore scene. Sorry. I kept thinking like when I first saw the movie, the thirty-four version, I thought the barber was a barber. It's not a barber, it's barbore, which is the name of the of dentist. The dentist right. right. In this case, Ambrose Chappelle is a taxidermist that has nothing to do with anything. It's total dead end. Whereas yeah. in the thirty-four version, the the dentist was something that led to something. Right, right.
2: And and then I think we have a scene where uh, Joe realizes that it's not Chappelle, that it's Chapel, and we're looking for a church, and uh, we get so, in, so, yep. in she, contact. Yeah. Right.
1: In in you know. Weird ways, whatever. She gets that information to Ben. Ben and Joe meet at the chapel.
2: Yes, and now we can get back to the movie after wasting about twenty minutes of screen time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah! That is yeah. definitely that is definitely one place where if you're scoring the the movies side by side, uh, this part of the movie is is definitely a, a thumbs down, and the thirty four version is a thumbs up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the chapel and at the chapel, uh, there's a church service going on. and so Joe and Ben start standing in the back, and we discover Mr. Drayton is the pastor. and Mrs. Drayton is like, you know, one of the church helpers and she she thinks she collects the offering like in the 34 we had like a weird sun cult or something like that and this we actually have a church probably st- it's looked still pretty culty so but, we know
1: uh, we're in the right place
2: yeah we're we're definitely in the right place yeah that's right we we we've noticed mr drayton uh and um so they finally made their contact find the right place uh but <laughs> this is where we get uh espionage 101 is this, is this moment with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Joe uh, before uh, they actually uh, reveal to the Drayton's of, of their presence.
1: They're standing in the back. They're standing in the back. There's a sermon going on.
2: And and Jimmy Stewart, being as tall as everybody remembers, is towering over all these people. And Joe, being the clairvoyant that she's been this entire film, realizes that this is a problem and and signals Ben to go stand behind these pipes that are, like, as tall as the ceiling that, that so he could be hidden. So I, I just wanted to make a point here that that, that we have some – this is our first moment that the McKenna's pull off a little bit of trick. Oh, really I see. I,
1: that's, you, you, dude, you've been talking to me about the pipes for, like, the last week, and I, 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 now I get it. Now
2: I yeah. get it. Is, like, it. Like, just, just – this, this is, like, such a – like, yeah, I, I think it was great that they put this in here. Because here's Joe, and he's a towering Jimmy Stewart, and he's going to be noticed right away. He's um, a tall male. So, yeah, he's a tall man. But as we find out, it doesn't really matter because as Mrs. Drayton is taking the offering, she walks towards the back, and we get a face to face reunited uh, Mrs. Drayton and Joe McKenna, who Doris Day now delivers the greatest daggers of all time. She stares at her with the most biggest animosity. I, I've never seen daggers like this in a film ever.
1: Get away uh, from, give me back my son slash yeah, get yeah. away from her. You
2: bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why they needed to hide, I'm not sure. Cause they ended up re- showing themselves anyway, but, uh, but you know, like it's it's pretty much paralleled at this point, you know. No cha- the, no chair- the sadly,
1: up. sadly, no chair fight.
2: No chair fight. None. None whatsoever.
1: No, uh, Joe. Uh, you know, uh, Ben gets Joe to leave no the dude. church,
2: right. as
1: you know. Again, like like in 1934, like once the villains realize that the good guys have infiltrated their 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 hideout. Right. They kind of make a show of getting everyone that shouldn't be involved out, ushering them out. Mm-hmm. And in this version, uh, you know, uh, Joe, like Ben says, like, Joe, you should go out with them. And, and so we're left just alone with Ben and the villains. And actually, I don't think there's there's no heavies involved here, you know, like there was before. There's just the Draytons and... Or, yeah, just the Draytons and Ben. And uh, we find they out... Knock out they knock him out. They knock him out. He, he does find out... He does confirm that they have Hank. That that wasn't necessary. But, uh, yeah, he gets knocked out.
2: Um uh, out with a bunch of other people that are involved and take Hank to an embassy.
1: Of some kind. We're not exactly sure why they're going to an embassy. At the moment... But in retrospect, we're going to find out as the audience that this is the embassy of whatever nation the assassination target is. Right. And in the first film, we were able to deduce that the assassination target was a French high official. In this movie, it's a very fictional, not uh, laid out for us, what nation the assassination target is is a high official of right we're, we're so. not
2: sure you know he might be a prime minister i think was he a prime minister the target oh yeah that's true that's true
1: in this case they're a little bit more specific about the rank
2: but it's we have prime... no idea what country so yeah
1: in 1934 version it's a whatever high official of france and in 56 it's the prime minister of whatever
2: country Well, now now might be a good time to talk about why an assassination is even planned to to begin with. Uh, Because we didn't really discuss that in the 34 one or the 50. And and now's, I think, a good time. Why why, why are they trying to kill kill these, uh, I guess, public officials in either of these films? We don't really get a whole lot of information about that. That's true. Uh, In 34, we do get a parallel mention of the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. And why it's a big deal that we have to foil this plot of an assassination. But it we're is, not really sure what's this assassination gonna accomplish.
1: It is strongly suggested that the stakes are possibly that high. That, but not exactly why.
2: Right. So in 34, we're out, we're we're past World War One. In fifty-six, we're past World War Two, and uh, there's actually been other assassinations in fact one in the huge list of events that people believe started world war ii one of them was the assassination i think it was in july of 1934 which was just months before uh the the 1934 version released and uh uh, people believe that that might have been one of the events that sparked or led to uh world war ii so this is a pretty big deal but what is the purpose of these assassinations? You know, uh, what are they trying to gain out of this? Like, what, what are your thoughts? Well, well in, both,
1: in both cases, it strikes me that... It strikes me that the assassination is planned to go off not in the home country of the assassination target, but while they're a visiting dignitary to another allied nation. And so... The idea, I would think, for instance, in 1934, you got a French, an important French guy visiting London, gets shot in London. I'm thinking Nazis. Yeah. I'm, to, I'm thinking Nazis. I'm thinking that they're uh, trying to put a wedge between
2: maybe, England maybe. and France. Maybe.
1: In a better movie, in a more modern movie, it could have been more explicitly laid out um but of course that's the problem with you know historical movies where uh you know you can't like the people making the movie can't know what is actually going on behind the scenes in the shadowy world of espionage usually we don't find out what was really going on until many years later then we can make a film about it right but i think it's i think it's good to look at like uh what was going on at the time and and put it side-by-side with the film, Uh, in 34, um, you know, that same year, an actual assassination plot did happen.
2: Yeah,
1: and And it was successful, yeah. Yeah, I know, like, we got different results from our research on, like, which happened first, the movie coming out, or the assassination, but um, I don't want to dive too deep into that right now. But um, the idea, I'm sorry, bringing it back... The idea here in 34 would be to not Nazis, they they never specify Nazis, by the way, that is just us. We know
2: they're probably German, is this, because the group isn't really identified, it's just a group with an assassination plot, but we're pretty sure they're German All we know. in the 34 version.
1: All we know is that someone wanted a French high official to be assassinated while in London,
0: right. and...
1: That's what we know from the film. What we know from history is that the Nazis wanted to assassinate, I think it's an Austrian guy, while he was in a different country. So, I mean, it just, it just, the pieces fit together. I'm I'm not saying conspiracy. I'm just saying, like, the table is laid. It makes sense. In 56, it's a little less clear to me um cuz we don't uh, know
2: what country it is but we we're, we're, we're presuming it's probably a sim well no cuz later we find out that the the ambassador to country x we'll call it is trying is is got the plan to assassinate the prime minister of country x so he's probably trying to get himself elected as prime minister would be my guess sure and right and-
1: yeah cuz we're going to we are going to find out that the ambassador Right. Uh, who's who's traveling with the Prime Minister of Country X? Right. Uh, is the person that hired the Draytons to go to Morocco to hire to Ryan? Right. To make sure that their head of state was assassinated while visiting London. I think that's important. I think. Well, the then that place... way the the
2: the ambassador could come back uh, in the public and be like. Oh, England wasn't able to protect our prime minister. You know, uh, we should have a problem with this. Dude, and fuck elect what, me as prime fuck, minister. No, fuck
1: not able to protect. I would be going back as the villainous ambassador and saying, dude, motherfuckers, London, like, like. The, oh, is our enemy. The, the English just shot our fucking prime minister.
2: Right. Let's so, go to war. Elect me prime minister. I'll take us to war. And I'll get our revenge.
1: I will take care of this situation.
2: Yes, that's... Alright, so we probably have a clearer idea of the, the motivation behind the assassination in 56 than we do in 34. Um, yeah, that makes... That, no, I think, I think that makes a lot no, of but, sense.
1: I mean, both, both of them make equal amount of sense, just in, in different ways. In different yes, ways. That's true, yeah.
2: Um, but, uh, yeah, so at this point, the Draytons have retreated to the embassy. right. And uh, Ben's knocked out. So, I, I guess we can move to the concert.
1: I got another thing, though. Uh, we, oh, we that's got it. We, right. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Blonde, blonde butler. A ba- blonde butler. Yes. When the Draytons, when the Draytons, like, okay, after the uh, kerfuffle at the church, the Draytons escape out of the back of the church with Hank. They've got a couple heavies with them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, just some just some thugs. And they've got their little kidnapped boy and they go to the embassy and they make sure that the kitchen staff like they they don't want anyone to see them come into the embassy, which I think is going to be a recurring theme in this podcast about how uh, embassies and ambassadors and diplomats Often get intertwined with the spy world.
2: Very much so. I, yes. you know, this is this is actually very very common. It keeps that,
1: it, uh, yeah keeps happening over and over. Now they give the order to clear out the kitchen staff so that they can sneak Hank in and themselves in to the embassy without being seen by anyone. Then there's this weird shot where one person and and You don't know he's a butler. Actually, I don't know he's a butler. I'm assuming he's a butler. I'm
2: calling. Well, we kind of figure that from later on that he probably
1: is. I think so. Yeah, I think
2: he's a butler too. But at this point,
1: we zoom in on his face. Yeah, and and he looks off to the side, and he kind of looks through a vent, which I thought was an interesting thing. Um, You know, and there's one of the kitchen staff says like, "Oh, I wish we were working at the Swiss uh, Embassy." Like. You know, like, uh, where it's, like, normal. But, like, here, everything's all fucking, like, secret, secret bullshit. And yeah. that's the moment, like, we zoom in on him, and he just has this look. Like, he's he hasn't seen anything.
2: But he's figured something out.
1: He's taking note of the fact that, uh, that they've been cleared out. Right. He knows something's going on. Why right. does he know something going on? We're gonna we're gonna save him for a little bit later, right?
2: Yeah, we will. We will because we have a lot to say about this blonde butler who really we're not told a whole lot about.
1: He only showed, he only has two moments in the movie. But when I was going back and trying to figure out some of my key questions, we're just mentioning this. We're putting a pin on the blonde butler because he answers some of those questions.
2: Yep. Yes, he does. <laughs> David. Yeah.
1: Have you got a concert ticket sticking out of your pocket?
2: I do have a concert ticket sticking out of my pocket.
1: Does it say a Albert Hall?
2: No. Uh, What? Is the fifth? No, that's thirty-four. No, they're both at Albert Hall. Oh, really? Okay, mine, mine does say Albert Hall. Okay. All right. Sorry. Now
1: we have the concert scene. The 56 version. Again, it's parallel to the 1934 version. It's uh, quite a bit more uh, extended. Uh, it's quite a bit more lavish and beautiful. Um, it's uh, not really important to the spying part of the movie, so uh, I don't know. We'll just make some quick notes on that, and, and we'll move along. What do you think, Dave?
2: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, nothing really spy happens... This, I mean, this is just the climax of the film. Uh, and like you said, it would probably be much more laverish. But uh, we did talk about Ryan and uh, Joe's interaction at the hotel. And uh, that was in like Marrakesh. Um,
1: Marrakesh, right?
2: Yeah, Marrakesh, right. And now uh, Joe shows up to the concert and she notices Ryan and Ryan notices her. And minus like 500 spy points for okay. Ryan. Right. Yeah. Walking up to her and being like, "You have a lovely boy," and then running away because he literally just gave away that he's probably the assassin or involved. And by the way, Joe, you found the right place. By the way, we all have your boy. By the so my, minus a million spy points there.
1: I'm uh, worried about spy point inflation here. Yeah, let's can 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 we call it a solid fifty?
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll we we'll do a minus fifty. Yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah, no, we're yeah. Probably, like, worst decision ever, but probably for just cinematic reasons. Joe, uh,
1: goes but, to the, Joe goes to the concert because she's looking for Buchanan, because Buchanan said that
2: he, he would help that. Yeah, that he would be there, right? And and then she notices the prime minister and the diplomat, and I think this is when she pieces together that the prime minister is the target.
1: Yeah, in this one, I think she does. She does.
2: So, uh from From there, nothing really happens other than country X has a flag that was probably drawn by a little kid uh, at you know pink time definitely
1: it it definitely tries to look it tries too hard to look like a country's flag right it's it's quarter it's it's got four sections diagonally. there's way too many colors. it just it I and absolutely, just in case. Apologies to this country if we find out, but if we get if we get even one angry email yeah. uh, from the person of country X that like yeah. no you fuckers that is my country yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is my flag and yeah. fuck you I'm yeah. unsubscribing yeah. even if we get that one angry email I will consider this podcast a success
2: absolutely absolutely but I, we looked into it and I'm pretty sure it's a fictional country
1: it it doesn't it doesn't look like a real flag.
2: No, not at all. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think that's all we need for the you know, the the concert scene there's a lot of cinematic stuff we could discuss because it's much more lavish but you know, I think we can move on. The assassination occurs and just like in the 34 parallel, Joe screams before the symbol crash, saving the 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 target's life because he freaks out and gets out of the way and he just kind of gets grazed by the bullet. In this version, and,
1: in this version, Jimmy Stewart is uh, no longer captive, like the Jimmy Stewart character is no longer captive, and he gets to wrestle with Ryan, and and Ryan falls to his death, which oh, is different right. than the 34 version, uh, so we don't we don't have our Ryan-slash-Ramon heavy to worry about anymore for right. the rest of the movie. From now on, it's just the McKenna's versus the Drayton's.
2: Right, right, and uh, we end up... Uh, there's, there, well, I guess we could touch on this going to the embassy because that's where the drains have retreated. There's a little bit of political like issues because the British can't do anything because an embassy is technically foreign land. And so they had to, they had to find a way to figure out that, uh, Hank was there so that they could actually do something. And how they do that is because we have a famous singer, who just saved the man's life, who is indebted to her, and he had invited her.
1: I'm gonna take that. I'm, I'm gonna take that back a step. Do you mind?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay.
1: Um, after the, the aborted assassination, um, the McKennas uh, well actually, we cut to as the audience finding out that the ambassador is behind it all because he meets oh, with, that's right. Right. Yeah. He meets with the Draytons at the embassy, and he's pissed. That the assassination didn't go as planned. Right. This is the second place we see Mister Blonde Butler.
0: That's
2: right. Uh, I'm so sorry that we skipped over this.
1: He's the one. He's the one that ushers the Draytons in, and then She's closes the, the door behind
2: them. office, right?
1: Yeah. Right. So now, when we come back to our heroes. We have the McKenna's meeting with Buchanan right, right. after the assassination. Right. And just just like he said, um, oh, so, um, you know, they're they're sharing as much information as they can. But a phone call comes in for Buchanan, and we don't get to hear what the phone call says. But after he hangs up, he says, the Draytons are at the embassy. Now, this one is really what put me onto the Blonde Butler when I had to rewatch it and try to figure out. Because, okay, let's say there wasn't a Blonde Butler, real quick. Here would be my thinking. Why does Buchanan... Who calls Buchanan to tell him the Draytons are at the embassy? Why is anyone watching the Draytons? Why is this the right time for someone to call Buchanan and say, oh, by the way, the Draytons are at the embassy. The Draytons weren't being watched. We know that because, I mean, they they just weren't, you know? Otherwise, the, the good spies would have known about the church. Like, all this shit right. would have been over. Um, even if it's now that the Draytons become people of interest, you can't go back in time to surveil the Draytons and pay attention to where their whereabouts are. Right? Right. So
2: who? Oh, and this is also when Buchanan figures out the prime minister, or no, he says, ah, oh, they're trying to assassinate their own people. I wish they would do it in their own country. Yeah, th- th- that was also that same seed. So, like, how does Buchanan have all this information? Which again, t-
1: which, again, ties back to our thing of, like, we think that the whole plot in both cases, it was critical to the villain's plot that the assassination happened in a country other than their own. Right, and that it caused an international kerfuffle right um so uh so yeah, so i I was confused by that, and then i it was I mean, I've taken days thinking about a lot of this shit <laughs> and going back and forth through the movies, and then I was like, "Oh my fuck, it's that blonde butler, it's that blonde fucking butler he's yeah. the guy, he's the guy whose nose started twitching. When the kitchen staff was cleared out, right, he's he's the one that ushered the Draytons in to see the ambassador, right. and those are the only times we see him, right. But but we shortly afterwards we get a phone call to Buchanan, revealing the key part of information that we need that the Draytons are at the embassy. It's got to be BB. It's got to be my boy.
2: Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's he's, he's a got great to, catch. He's that got to be the man. He's
1: yeah. he's got to be the man on the inside. Yep, yeah,
2: absolutely. That was a great catch.
1: I'm, I'm uh, giving myself. I'm giving myself ten spy
2: points. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think. I think. I think you deserve that up. I think you deserve them. All right. Cool. 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 Yeah. All right. So we're at the embassy, right?
1: We're yeah. at the. We're, yeah, we're at the finale. Do you want to do this or shall I?
2: Uh, I can I do it because I mean, there's really nothing left, uh, spy-wise, other than oh, there's another left time the McKenna's yeah, is the let's, second
1: let's time. Just wrap, let's just wrap this fucker up because yeah, from on out it gets it's, bad. It's it kind of bad.
2: Yeah, wait. This is the second time we get some the best part of the, the movie.
1: The best part of the movie is definitely behind us at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. But this is this is another time that we get to see the men at McKenna's pull some tradecraft. Uh, trade craft. The the Prime Minister has survived because of Joe's scream. Prime Minister's completely indebted to her. And he knows her. He, he thanks her. He thanks her. And and the 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 British can't do anything about the embassy because it's foreign land. So Joe or I think Ben comes up with the idea to have her call the prime minister to tell him that he wants to meet him tonight. That way ensuring the two of them will get inside the embassy. So we now got a way in for the McKenna's. You know what I mean? So like this was, this was kind of a little trade crafty and we didn't get a crazy amount from the McKenna's, but this is another moment where we get to see our heroes uh, actually, like, pull off some, like, spice stuff. So, so I'm, thinking, some... I'm, think,
1: I'm, I'm thinking, like, the reasoning for this is, like, Buchanan, uh, okay, we know the Draytons have your kid. Or we strongly suspect Right. the Draytons have your kid. Right. We know that the Draytons are at the embassy. Right. Neither of those pieces of information, he doesn't spell this out, but I'm going to spell it out. Neither of those pieces of information are enough for us to like go to war. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. You
1: know? me, me I mean, me yeah. But but if 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 we had positive proof that one of our citizens, or actually one of your
2: an American citizens, citizen, right? this is
1: an American but London and America are allies and country X is who the fuck knows, who the fuck knows why we give a shit about these people or why we invite them to our concerts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just go shoot yourself. Go shoot your leaders in your own country, please. Right. But if, 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 if you could positively prove that an American citizen is being held hostage in country X's embassy, then we might be able to do something.
2: Right? It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so now we get, you know, the McKenna's getting into the embassy and we have British police surrounding the embassy on the outside because that's the the limit to where they they have jurisdiction, I guess is what you would call it. And uh so the idea is is to have uh Joe sing that song that we discussed about earlier at the hotel because she knows that her baby boy would recognize that song. And because she's an international celebrity. And
1: recognizes mother's voice.
2: And, yeah, and recognizes her mother's voice. But the, she'd be able to sing in front of all these people because she's an international celebrity. And here's an opportunity for them all to see this famous singer. And then we get to see a really, really not amazing version of the song sang because she's trying to sing it as loud as she
0: possibly can. <laughs> so her baby boy... Yep.
2: And we get some interesting reactions from the, audi- the 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 audience in the embassy. But a lot
1: of a lot of critics and if I were to count myself amongst them found the K scene to be grating and annoying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she sings
1: it very loud right. and for what seems to me to be an interminably long period of time. It's not acceptable. Okay.
0: Yeah. But Hank
1: but Hank does hear I mean the the, the plot whistles? point is accomplished. He hears his mother's voice. He starts oh, Mrs. Drayton, who's having doubts, because right. the ambassador uh, told Mrs. To... Drayton to eliminate the boy, and Mrs. Yeah. Drayton is only gonna go so far with this shit. She's not right. into child murder. Right, right, right. She encourages Hank to whistle. And I don't know why that works, but it does. Jimmy Stewart hears his boy whistling. He heads upstairs. He finds his boy. What happens next?
2: What happens next is probably the single worst uh, ending to this story. Well, we, we, the, the, the second worst ending of this story, followed by the worst ending to this story. Uh, we have Mr. Drayton show up with a gun to try and hold Jimmy hostage. They uh, go through a back and forth uh, kind of negotiation where Jimmy's like you're not gonna pull the trigger because everybody hear the gun and there's tons of diplomats and security so you're gonna get out mr. Drayton convinces him that that uh, Jimmy Stewarts gonna help him get out of the embassy and on the way he's, down gonna, the he's stairs, gonna
1: he's gonna walk out of the embassy holding uh, Hank and Ben, ben.
2: Hostage. Most,
1: mostly by like keeping his gun pointed at,
2: at until Hank's he can little, get little out, little out of head. the embassy and get right. away with all of this. But uh what happens is uh Ben McKinnon trips Mr. Drayton on the stairs on the way down to at which
1: a, at a key moment.
2: At a key moment, and Mr. Drayton shoots himself on the way down the stairs, and uh everything's tied up in a nice little neat little bow, which is then followed by the worst ending of all time
1: oh i see what time. you mean by the second worst ending and the first worst ending yes. so the second the second worst i mean this is the worst ending i've ever seen in a movie ever, ever. like ever. The, there there's no there's no competition no. this is this is remember i talked about like you know i didn't want to inflate spy points too much right, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not trying to give alfred hitchcock minus 100 director points for this movie because there's a lot of good things about this movie but if i was just looking at this ending
2: yeah
1: i don't think i don't think it's unfair to give him minus 500 director points yeah it was it's yeah. bad and so what you mean like the first part of the bad ending is that the villain is like tripped is, is tripped, tripped and then shoots and himself, shoots himself <laughs> that is so <laughs> unsatisfactory
2: yeah and, and then we're like alright well what, I guess what that's so. the, what, is the thing,
1: what is the thing there's a word for it uh, you know I've had some beers and that's why I can't always remember what words are there's a, there's a word that you're supposed to feel as an audience when the, the thing happens it's, uh, it's it closure
2: Oh yeah, no. Or something. We got or, no or closure. What's up? Belief
1: of of like the tension that's been building up, and the the tension, 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 tension. Trip. Oh shit! Villain shot himself. Fuck you, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Come on.
2: <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Only to be followed by the worst ending ever. It's just there's a cartoon.
1: There's a cartoon. I don't know if our audience has ever seen it. It only ran for a certain while. On Cartoon Network, it was called Cow and Chicken. It was very, like, Warner brothers you know, like, like it tried yeah. tried to be, you know. It was just slapstick. It was called Cow and Chicken. One thing I really liked about that show that I thought was really clever is they never tried to wrap things up. They would just, like, do their shit, do their slapstick, 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 and then just chicken would just say,
2: And! Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's how this next part feels.
2: Yeah, Hit. why don't you why don't you tell us what happens?
1: <laughs> I want you to. You want me to
2: okay. Well, after, you know, our villain has just shot himself being tripped by Jimmy Stewart falling down the stairs.
1: And let's remember, let's remember uh cuz cuz we didn't mention cuz it wasn't important that uh Ben and Joe were at a dinner party with Oh, their... that's right. With with the the friends that when they because she
2: needed a place to stay, so she called her some of her rich British friends to kind of yeah, put them up
1: themselves. You know, at various points as information came in, like, "Oh, we gotta, I gotta go do a thing. I gotta go talk to a guy." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah, we, have, yeah. as the audience, we have completely forgotten about these people until now.
2: And there's a whole group of friends, probably like six or seven friends, that have been excited to see Joe and Ben, and they're just drinking, and then Ben and Joe have to leave. And and so this party, the, these group of friends were just left there. And then we go on with the rest of the movie all the way until the end. Our villain trips and falls and shoots himself. We have a very, very quick re, re, uh, reuniting with uh, Hank. And then we skip to a shot of Joe, Ben, and Hank returning to the place where their friends have just been hanging out waiting for them. And are falling asleep from eating and drinking, I guess, just mind-numbingly waiting for them to return and we have a joke from Jimmy Stewart that's like, hey, sorry we're gone so long. We just had to go pick up Hank. And, then and, credits roll. and, and, and.
1: roll credits. The roll music credits. Is we yeah. roll credits. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I have to give you so many minus director points. I this. wonder
2: if this was like a budget thing or if like Jimmy Stewart was like, hey, you know it would be really funny? Dude, it really like, Jimmy Stewart it, it, joke.
1: It absolutely. Oh, okay. No, you go first. You go first.
2: Oh no, no, it's it's yeah. That like that joke is such a Jimmy Stewart joke. I'm wondering if he was just like, "Hey, it'd be funny," and then and then Alfred, who loved working with Jimmy Stewart, was like, "Ah, okay, whatever." But I, I think I think it's probably it more me, of a budget issue.
1: It feels to me like they just like like you know like uh, remember we did our Ed Wood show on the Yammering Lou thing. Uh-huh. You know, and like how they like they just suddenly like ran out of money, and the people showed up and said like, "You can't film it here anymore." <laughs> it's it's that bad. It just yeah. feels like, um, you know, or uh, it's 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 awful. It it feels like it feels like the last I don't know five is it five or ten minutes of the film was just like hastily done. Like we got to we, we just got to wrap this up. Yeah, like, yeah.
2: We We spent spent all our budget on that concert scene.
1: We spent way too much. And that Morocco
2: marketplace. (laughs) Which,
1: we hadn't mentioned, was filmed in location. Yeah, uh, we didn't talk about it. Like, that marketplace is the main marketplace of Marrakesh. And apparently, like, it's a really famous place. It's like like the Times Square. Well, I don't want to say this because I don't know Africa. Uh, I'm not pretending to really know Africa, but, like, it's like it's the times square of north africa right it's it's a really famous place and it was probably really expensive um you know i'm not sure how many movies were being filmed on location in foreign lands you know like like i feel like i i see so many old movies that are like you know clear like Okay, yeah, you're you're saying that you're in the Gobi Desert, but clearly this is Southern California.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but it just felt like maybe someone was like, "Look, uh, look, Al, like you just got carried away with the Morocco stuff. Like we're at
2: a concert, and like uh, we're out of money."
1: Yeah, the concert is also like very lavish, very lavish, very colorful, very good scene. It's got a twelve minute. Sequence without any dialogue, which I think was different for the time, and I, I think that was like a like considered to be like a very like ballsy auteur move.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. I think that's one of the reasons. Like that scene, it's it's not that exciting in the thirty-four version. Uh, but but if you know if I'm comparing scene by scene, uh, I gotta give points. I gotta give a lot of good director points. <laughs> For the concert scene, but yeah, it just feels like they ran out of money.
2: Yeah, let's hey, debrief. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's debrief. Yeah. All right, let's head there. All right. Uh, the 56 version is got okay. How do I say this? It's very colorful. Yeah, I mean, again. I only watch this on YouTube, so I, I can't rate the, like, what the, you know, um, I mean, sometimes, like, a lot of films, it's, it's important to, to watch them in their original form, the way they were meant to be seen on a theater screen. In this case, like, I feel like if I had seen this in the theater, I would be just overwhelmed by the fucking stark colors. I don't like it. I don't like, like, this is, this is a new, this is like a new technique. It's also uh, apparently like VistaVision. It was a new technique that Paramount or something was using that they were uh, showing things in widescreen. Not that they were inventing widescreen, but VistaVision was a different way of like showing things. This movie is too fucking colorful. It's annoyingly colorful. As far as, you know, and I don't think it fits the theme as well. Like, like I, I would much rather be in the dark, claustrophobic, like little shots of the thirty-four version. Um, there's way too much quippiness. Yeah. Uh, there's way too many jokes that I don't know what the sense of humor was in uh 1956, but a lot of the shit you're doing, it ain't funny in 2019.
2: No, it's not.
1: <laughs> and. And it just feels like a waste of my time. Uh, I I I liked the acting a lot. Um, I I'm gonna short it and and give it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with two. I'm gonna go with two. I do not need to see this movie again ever. Okay. I didn't mind seeing it. I felt like it was an enjoyable watching experience, even watching it a couple times in preparation for this podcast. But uh, I, I never need to see this movie again. <laughs> this I've I've seen it once and yeah. done. I mean, well, I've seen it twice now.
2: I actually enjoyed watching this movie as a movie more than the 34 version myself. Um, kind of, you know, one, you know, my dad's favorite actor is Jimmy Stewart. So I've had a lot of, you know, fond moments just growing up with Jimmy Stewart. So just watching Jimmy Stewart be Jimmy Stewart again. And then discovering Doris Day is like a phenomenal actress, but I think overall as a story, other than that grotesque ending.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: Like I really enjoyed the ride, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, w- once, once we started dissecting it and we discover all of the like, you know, kind of uh mess that was left for us to kind of piece together. Um that kind of bugged me, but uh I definitely enjoyed watching it more than the thirty four version but like as you were saying it, it's not it's not funny, and that twenty minute scene that we wasted with uh uh the taxidermist like uh, if that was uh, taken garbage. out and we had a little bit better ending. I think I would have i think I would have rated it better. But, you know, I think I could rewatch this, especially that scene on the bus with uh, Louis Bernard uh, basically gaining information from from Ben McKenna. I could probably rewatch that a thousand times. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I think I would enjoy rewatching it, uh, but I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to rewatch it. Uh, so I'm probably going to give this a two and a half stars, even though I enjoyed it a little bit more. Artistically, there wasn't anything interesting. Other than like some Hitchcock camera angles, you know, it's a couple interesting ones that really give you some feeling. But uh, I, th- I think uh, a lot of the visual, I guess, uh, art form in the 34 one was much more rich, uh, even right. though I think this was a more cohesive story that I could follow rather than being really choppy uh, other than that ending. But, yeah, I think I'm going to go with two and a half stories on this one.
1: All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Um now this is a podcast about spy movies and and the tradecraft that we we see within it. So we got to give these movies another rating. <laughs> right? Yeah. We got got to give it a we're going to call it a redaction rating. Now, the redaction rating, I hope I don't have to explain this. Uh I'll I'll find a tight way to explain this in each episode. A redaction rating works the opposite as star rating. Hi redact... Here's how it works. Let's say that the events of this movie actually happened. And then someone made a movie about it. Just... Can you follow me with that thought experiment for a moment? Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm there with you, yeah.
1: Okay. So, if the movie reflects the real events, then it is not redacted.
2: Okay. Oh, I see. I it see. has
1: a low redaction rating. All right. All right. If the movie has no basis in reality, then we assume that the movie, whatever real events it was based on, had to be so heavily redacted yeah. so that we as the audience wouldn't actually know what really happened.
2: Right, 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 right. Okay. So,
1: so, so it works the opposite with stars. All right. Kind of. I mean, you could still have you could still have you could have a five-star movie with a five redaction rating. That's fine. That means it's a great movie that doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. <laughs> but possibly the best score that we, you and me, Dave could give a movie, if we ever do, would be a five-star movie with only a one redaction rating.
2: Right. That would, be, that
1: would be a movie that is super awesome and is also super accurate.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Alright. Well, what do you now think let's,
2: of this movie? Let's,
1: let's, let's prep on that. Let's go okay. through our... Top three best tradecraft moments from these movies. Oh, and then we're giving the a uh, yep, 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 And then we're going to get our top three worst. I'm going to start. My number three for best tradecraft out of these two movies, I'll go with the 1956 Louis Bernard chatting up the McKenna's on the bus. I thought it was just, it just felt so authentic. I didn't catch it when I would first watch the movie, then when Joe got suspicious and I went back and paid close attention to how Louis Bernard massages that conversation, he felt like a real spy to me. That's my number three best. And then is it me? That's you. What's your number three?
2: my, My number three was when Mr. Lawrence in the 1934, when we get to the creepy cult church scene, he asks one of the hench ladies, "Ah, oh, so is my girl ready to go?" And she replies, "Well yes, yeah, she's right she's right here, she's ready to go. uh I, I know this is super cheesy, and it probably would never work in real life, but instead of going to Abbott, who's the the mastermind, he goes to like one of just these random hench ladies and in British fashion, you know, kind of cleverly tries to go, "Oh, is my daughter ready to go?" He basically gains the information that his daughter is, in fact, at that church. And I thought that was kind of fun. Because it was nice. done in a very cheeky, British way. And instead of him going to Abbott asking that question, he just goes to the random lady and, and, and gets the information. Who's probably not as uh, uh, up to speed as Abbott would be. Nice catch.
1: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch that one. My number two. This one I'm also giving it to 1956 that cheeky fucking move where Mr. Trayton tries to be the interpreter yeah for uh Ben McKenna uh for the French police that was that, great. that was yeah. ballsy that was yeah. ballsy and super yeah. trade crafty I'm yeah. going to give I got to I got to give him spy points for that I'm not sure how many he let's say 15 let's points. say 15
2: 20 yeah. how about 20 20 yeah 20 spy points 25 Twenty five. Yeah. I'm
1: feeling generous. Twenty five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's what's your number two?
2: My number two is the 1956 Louis Bernard on the bus, like your number yeah. three. Yeah, was, yeah. I just thought that was so it was so accurate the way that a person would try and extract information from an oblivious traveler just talking to anybody and not giving any information. Just play to their ego, compliment them here and there to get them to keep talking encourage them you know be excited while you're listen, listening to them so i, th- I think i think that's going to be my number two
1: there's so many fantastic elements of these movies yeah. like completely unrealistic i think you and i have it right like that's one scene that just feels when you look at it it feels like super authentic Absolutely. super authentic you watch
2: that scene you're like that is a spy that, that,
1: is, that it yeah. is it is you don't know it yet
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: it's so it's so clever because like when you first watch it it just looks totally natural but yeah. then when you go and watch it again after paying attention to Joe's uh, uh nose twitching about it
2: yeah 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 it's
1: completely different and yeah. it and it it, it, it it would feel like that's that's tradecraft that works in 56 that's tradecraft that works in 2019 oh forever it, it's it's, yeah. it's evergreen tradecraft yeah Good good call. Here's yeah. my number one. Here's my number one. Yeah. Uh no, uh, yeah, I we talked about this, but my number one I think is uh when Gibson brings in the British police to Lawrence's apartment.
2: Oh yeah, and tries to get the information without revealing who he was. I think that's I I'd love that.
1: Even yeah. though like I I I'm doing some uh extrapolation of the plot, you know, I'm doing a little guesswork, I'm doing a little like filling in the dots on my yep. own of yep. what's going on but again there's no reason for the British police to be involved in that it's it just the only way that makes sense is that Gibson talked the British police into going to the Lawrences he's trying to get the information without having to uh, break cover that's tradecraft that's my yep. number one
2: I think that yeah, that's a that's a great choice. That was a definitely solid moment. How about you, buddy? All right, my number one is our boy, the blonde butler. I love it. He never he He was he was he was strongly in consideration. He never ever ever intervened. All he was was a butler. And he would just pass information. We're not even told. The audience watching this movie is never told who this guy is. We just get these random weird shots of him. We had to figure it out on our own. We had
1: had to figure it out on our own, but it fucking makes sense, right?
2: It all makes sense, and and he never intervenes. All he does is he's a butler. Shows up to work, goes home from work. Anything happens, he just happens to send some information somewhere else. And I, I, I really liked how uh you found that and it played out really really well and it was a great asset for the british intelligence
1: every other spy in this movie makes incredibly obvious huge stupid mistakes yes yeah one yeah. butler is in the background yeah you have to you have to you not only have to watch this movie a couple times you have to watch this movie and and be like Preparing for a podcast about tradecraft and combing through it with a fine tooth comb to yeah. even notice this motherfucker.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. He's no, doing his
1: absolutely. job. He's doing his job. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he, he gets 100 spy points. Yeah, definitely. 200.
2: 200. Oh, right? yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, I, 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 I I when, he when, was when, absolutely when, on my list of, of top. Like, like, yeah.
2: When you brought him up to me and I had noticed, I, I was like, wow, oh yeah. And he doesn't skip a beat. He just shows up to work and then gets the info where it needs to go. And so, yeah, I think I think that was my favorite. He doesn't even have a line in this movie, Dave. Not a single one. Not no! Not a single one.
1: We just, we just noticed that he's noticing things at one point. He shows up in two scenes. He's probably got like 40 fucking seconds at, at most. He's on screen for like less than 40 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how you're a spy.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just in the background. Nobody notices you other than that random close-up shot we got. You know, it, that, that was great. What it about was, the...
0: What about...
1: <laughs> what about the worst? Let's let's go down through the worst. What's your top three worst trade? My craft number in, three
2: in either- worst trade craft uh, uh, was probably you know, and like we, we we gotta cut a little slack here for Jimmy because he's not trained, uh, but somehow he's trained in tripping. But my number three <laughs> was Sorry. tripping the spy, which ended up killing him, and then they don't get any information. They get zero information. All they did was stop the bad guys, but now they have no information. The Prime Minister or the, the ambassador presumably gets away with murder or attempted murder. My number three is in
1: nineteen thirty-four with Louis not knowing that he's in danger. Like he,
2: he oh, he's just partying it up. He's a, seen he's seen
1: Abbott. Yeah. He's recognized, like, Abbott and Louis have a moment of co-recognition. A good spy would know that, like... Now, remember, he's already said, like, I'm leaving tomorrow. Right. And that's cool. You're leaving tomorrow. You want to, like, not break protocol and not, like, uh, do, like, weird shit. Like, like sneak out of Switzerland in the middle of the night, because that looks right. suspicious.
2: Right. But you don't
1: go to the dance.
2: Right, exactly. There's no there's
1: there's no reason like you at this point i really think Louis Bernard should know that he's in danger. But he's just like chala lying like dancing with another man's wife like
2: hoo hoo hoo
1: until oh I'm tangled in swing, and sing and oh my god I'm shot and I'm dead.
2: He could have faked that he was hurt from that spill when he was going down that maybe he'd caught up to him, and he was not feeling like he he needed a little bit of rest or something from that big ski competition he could he could have made up all kinds of stuff he's pretty That's chill
1: funny. about being shot in the heart too by the way yeah like like I, I there's a mismatch between where he gets wounded and how much time he gets to impart information in that one yeah, because that is definitely a hard shot yeah. Uh, number two for you.
2: My number two worst, worst, worst. was the worst. Ryan. Second, at the, worst. second worst is Ryan at the concert in the 1956, walking up to Joe McKenna and saying, you have a lovely boy before he even completed the assassination. Or even doing it. Period. Why would he go on and let someone else know who he already knows is following this trail trying to get her son to let her know, hey, by the way, I'm here. We have your boy and uh, something's going to happen. So I'll just let you know that we're here. And it's something's dumb. Gonna- it's dumb as fuck. Yeah. Super dope. And my real number two was the 1934 assassin heading immediately to the hideout right after being seen. Uh, uh, he went right where they had the hostage where they had their whole operation right after he just shot a a public official he needs to go to another place another safe space where there's no one else out wait out till things kind of calm down or till he can get out and get his money and leave the country or something but what does he do he goes straight to the hideout where the entire operation has taken place all of the bad guy spies are present and the hostage is there. Motherfucker, get on a bus. Like yeah, get go get go your, somewhere else. Yeah.
1: Get get your payment a month later or something. Don't like connect everything.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um I think it's a good time to mention this too. Like um so this this whole hired assassin idea, right? Yeah. It doesn't jive for me. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think that professional hitmen can be hired for money, for pure money, like it, it, as it appears that Ryan and Ramon are in the two movies, can be hired to try to take out heads of state in incredibly highly uh, visible public spaces like the concert. <laughs> right. That I mean I maybe I should have put that in one of my worst tradecraft like you know against the movie.
0: Right.
1: I think like when 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 a, an important head of state is assassinated in a public space it hap- it does happen. But you know what? It's it's not a hired hitman. It's not like hitman from the fucking video game hitman, where it's just like, or a comic book, where it's just like, yes, you know, t- transfer transfer two million dollars into my account.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: and I guarantee, you know, they'll they'll be killed. It's it's accomplished by like um, people that are super passionate about politics.
2: Right, like, they get, like, they, they, the, what they'll do is they'll groom someone who's really angry about something and convince them that this target is who you want to hit. Right,
1: like just people
2: that are like, fuck
1: it, I cannot take this shit anymore.
2: Yeah, or they have nothing to lose. Right, you know? yeah, 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 yeah,
1: that too, yeah. that too.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but the world of hired hitmen is, is really like so small ball in yeah. real life. Like, real, like, hired uh, hitmen, like, they do, like, I mean, they shoot, like, someone, you know, so you can get a life insurance policy, and, you know, (laughs) you pay them, like, like 5,000 bucks or something. They don't do this elaborate, like, concert symbol bullshit, and, like, you know, like, the chances of you getting out there,
2: they're not good. (laughs) No, no. You want somebody that's got nothing to lose, that's really angry, and you convince them that getting this person is going to make things better. And why not? You, you got you got nothing left, you know. Just just take the shot and make the world better for everybody else, or something like that. You know, yeah, you, yeah you, you do it while they're in a
1: like a car, like like on the public street or something, somewhere unexpected. Ah,
2: just yeah, yeah.
1: You know, there's, there's only so many exits out of the theater.
2: Yeah. do that shit
1: out on the street where you have like a thousand ways to get away.
2: Right, 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 right. Alright, my number one. Yeah. It's
1: for both movies. This is an indictment of the movie, not character actions. Kidnapping, well I guess it is character actions, it's the evil character actions. Kidnapping a kid, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one. Kidnapping a kid instead of just shooting the fucking people. Yeah, you've already well, de- you've already demonstrated that you can put a bullet in someone, right? To to shut them up. You you were you were cool with shooting
2: Louis Bernard,
1: who presumably you know have people that are paying attention to what is happening with him, right? What what's what's wrong with just the McKenna's like just getting some cement shoes or something,
2: right? Exactly. You know,
1: like yeah, uh, uh, a little uh, mugging goes wrong, a little like a uh, uh, burglary goes wrong at the Lawrence's, and and they're both dead. Like yeah. the kid kidnapping—that's my—that's my my biggest minus spy points. I realize it's the whole point of both movies, so you can't remove it. But it's just—it's garbage, and clearly it doesn't work out for the villains at all.
2: No, not not whatsoever. It's an annoying piece
1: of, like, like the last thing you want, the last thing you want. You're running a fucking, like, you know, um, an operation in enemy territory. You're dealing with intrigue. You're watching people. They're watching you. You want a fucking kid? You want to yeah. also have the, the extra job of, like, having a kid around? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's going to cry and scream and kick and, yeah. That's my number one worst. I I think that's a good call. uh, Yeah. We could have just ended this movie. They could have just shot the people that had the information and the movie's over. Credits roll. But then we wouldn't have a movie. But we would
1: have a spy story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. All right. So let's let's redact let's redact this. How, how hard do we need to redact the 1934 version, do you think?
2: Well, I think a lot of the events are realistic and the scenarios probably have happened, other than the kidnapping, because like you pointed out, probably worst moves the spies could make. If they're just trying to, like, like, if they're trying to kidnap someone for another reason, that'd be one thing, but they're just trying to keep information from getting out. So other than that, a lot of these scenarios are pretty realistic. Uh, Even though they're all fictional events, um, I think a lot of the elements are pretty realistic. So I don't think we should give it a five redaction because we're saving that for a special movie. Uh, But uh, we definitely should give it one because it's definitely not super realistic and it's not really about an event, but a lot of the elements are pretty realistic. Yeah, so I don't... I don't know, I'm, I'm I'm probably gonna go with a three on this one. Maybe maybe a two and
0: a half.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Um I mean it's a it's a. Well, I mean we need to redact it highly. No, we need to reduct it highly more highly than two and a half. Okay. Because because uh I mean, you know, the every man being drawn into the land of foreign intrigue, like that just doesn't happen.
2: No, no, that's true.
1: Yeah. The kidnapping is bullshit, but but the nineteen thirty four, I'll, I'll give it. I'll absolutely, absolutely give it to the movie that like this same shit was happening, you know. Yeah. This this same plot was afoot.
2: Absolutely.
1: So let's let's put this one at, uh, you know, like a five. We're gonna have to reserve for like shit like Austin Powers. And honestly, like I, I I've been thinking about this, by the way. I, I I think we could go, like, we could do this podcast for, like, the next five years before we even think about even doing Austin Powers. Because <laughs> there's not going to be any tradecraft to talk about. Right? No, no, no,
2: not at all. Just gadgets. It's We're just fucking gadgets.
1: fart jokes and, and yeah. bullshit.
2: Well, he makes contacts with okay. his
1: eyes. I, I just haven't watched those movies in so long. But we have to resolve get five. It's like... Being, F- like Super unrealistic or spy kids, which we haven't watched yet, but we are planning on. By the way, audience,
2: we are planning I, on doing spy kids.
1: We are gonna do spy kids. Um, might get a five. Um, I, I, yeah, what, what would, I'm sorry, what was your reaction
2: on it? I so, would say three, maybe a two and a half, but you know I think I'm leaning more towards three because, yeah, the the every man being swallowed up into this type of situation is not really plausible. How do you feel- There's a lot of realistic elements, so I think a three would be good. How do you feel about three and a half? Three and a half is pretty good. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, okay, I I mean. It, this isn't a real event I, I was more basing it off of a lot of the elements are somewhat realistic
1: actually, you know what you know what no I'm gonna meet you at three again because because the same this this shit actually did happen yeah, yeah. even though even though the elements the way the movie plays out mm-hmm. are are not realistic, there is some tradecraft in there, and mm-hmm. also the underlying plot. Was proven by history to be completely plausible. So yeah, yeah, let's call that a solid three. How about
2: 1956? 1956. I'm probably gonna go with the same. Um, other than uh, the, there's a lot of elements that are m- more well, like better executed. Like we have our Louis Bernard gaining information from Ben, and then we have our blonde blonde Butler uh, moments. These two moments are really solid. Uh, you think like, those overall? Exist?
1: You think this counteract the the floppy plot?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, all right, I'll I'll hit you with that. Let's, yeah. let's call that. But, good.
2: but, but maybe maybe if, because of the floppy plot, we could we could give it a three and a half. It's just I definitely wanted to discuss how well Louis Bernard's character. Pulled no, but off.
1: no, no. I'm gonna meet you at three, and and you gave the exact right reasons to bring me down to three, uh, which are the bus scene and the blonde butler. Yeah. Because those are legit.
0: Yeah, super legit. Okay, man. Now, we, uh,
1: I've, I've, I've got some things to talk about here. And um, you, you jump in anywhere you want. Okay. But, but you know, I got a bit of a rant here and talk about like 1930, uh, the, the man who knew too much, how it works in cinematic history.
2: Okay.
1: Like uh um or or actually let me bring you in on this. Is this a spy movie or not, Dave? Uh
2: I think the first half of both of these movies are a spy movie, but then they turn out to just be a thriller. Uh right. So. Elements to it. But I don't think I would say either of these are a solid spy film. All
1: the spying is being done, or has been done, before the movie starts. Right. And we and...
2: don't to see any of it. It's just kind of like, there's a lot of interesting spy stuff that's been going on in the background that we don't get to witness. We don't we get
1: don't... to witness. We just get little teases of.
2: Right, right.
1: So, um... You know more informed and educated film historians much more informed and educated than you and me have called the the 39 steps the man who knew too much and north by northwest which by the way spans a significant amount of years that's between 34 and 59 oh wow the original spy movies even though they're kind of not spy movies so i think we're going to call them the prototype spy movies they are films about international intrigue right spying is kind of the i don't know the reason the story happens but it's not really like spying isn't really what the story's about
2: right right
1: again so- like I, like i said before i i think I, I think I nailed it when I said like, this is a in both cases this is a spy story that this movie there's a spy story going on and this movie comes along and crashes into it yeah, yeah. And, and, and takes over
2: yeah these stories are about parents who try and get their kid back
1: I mean like most of the movie it's like uh, I've I've never seen ransom but uh, you know give me back my kid
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean that's
1: that's what this movie really is. Both yeah. of these movies really are. It just happens to be that the spies are like setting them up. But I I still thought it was like uh really important and fun for us to start our podcast series with this movie which is part and parcel of the proto spy genre. Right. Why do you think uh you, 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 do you want to do you want to take a little uh, spin on why we think like maybe like it takes us 28 years to uh, for filmmakers to accept the idea that maybe we as an audience want to watch
2: a spy? Well, I mean, like, I don't... I mean, like, this goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, that, you know, I don't know about how England's population felt about intelligence, uh, but I do know America... Was not very uh, sympathetic to the idea of intelligence, and um, so you know, like my my theory is that these these might have been made to help sway public opinion. Uh, I don't I don't know how the public felt in England in 1934, but I definitely know in 1956, the idea of an intelligence agency was like, you know, looked down upon in America because you know the 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 big model, the big motto was. Uh, a gentleman never looks at another man's mail. And our intelligence agencies or our intelligence gathering period was only active during wartime. You know, and the CIA wasn't established until, what was it, 47? I think it was 47. You know, so 1956, the, the CIA wasn't like out in the open, people talking about it like left and right. So the idea wouldn't have been popular. So, <laughs> no, and, and, CIA,
1: CIA would be the parallel. But people, uh, the filmmakers at the time, they, they didn't, they weren't copped onto the
2: CIA. They no, probably really knew the CIA probably, was out there. And if they did, they probably knew the public did it. And the public wasn't going to know what anybody was talking about.
1: Right. So it made more sense. Of course, like, you know, mentioning the, the French Second Bureau or whatever, like that also like just, whew, went way over my head. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, I was like Ben in that moment. I was like, I don't know, you're just just speaking French to me. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah.
2: But, yeah, no, that's my thought, is that uh, the public really wasn't excited about the idea of a a central or long-standing intelligence during peacetime. I mean, again, I don't know how they felt in England, but I would presume it might have been similar. Considering that the movie was like we didn't get a spy hero, like at that time in movies, spies were like the creepy guy, you know they were like the bad guys it wasn't it was you never really yeah, we, don't, like, we don't we don't spy, yeah yeah the, the spies are the other guys, those are the bad guys we right. we're 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 the good guys, we're the noble people that don't spy, you know
1: yeah, so uh you know. I actually have a lot of notes about like, uh, like trying to trace down the very first spy in cinema. Mm -hmm. And, and also I'm curious uh, cause, cause even when we get James Bond notice, like we're still in 62, we're still not ready to embrace an American spy.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. He was British. Right. Uh,
1: But you know what? I think we're going to save that for another episode. I think that should be the intro of our James Bond episode, which isn't going to be for a while, but it's going to be in our uh, it's, it's in our lineup. Okay. But we got other things to talk about, right? Yep, absolutely.
2: And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net you know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It will help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol
0: 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from Freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at SpiesLikeUs.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.